You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, Hey everybody, I sound terrible because I feel terrible. I am sick. You can probably tell from the sound of my voice. So I'm going to try to keep things short here at the top because you don't want to listen to me in this condition. And thanks to the cold meds and sleepless nights and hacking and coughing, things are going to be pretty scattered in this week's intro. First up, The White Lotus. This is only going to make sense to people who are watching the second season of Mike White's genius anthology show, set at an upscale resort, this time in Sicily. If you don't know what the White Lotus is, it's basically the World Cup for people who don't care about sports. And the World Cup, of course, is sports for people who don't care about human rights. Anyway, to the White Lotus fans out there, Ethan loves Harper, but he doesn't want her. But the minute Ethan thinks his old college friend Cameron, who... Ethan has recently lapped professionally, but Ethan still holds on to some bitterness about having been lapped by Cameron romantically at frat parties a dozen years ago when they were still in college together. The minute Ethan thinks Cameron might want to fuck his wife Harper, or maybe did fuck his wife Harper, Ethan suddenly wants his wife again in the worst way. But instead of recognizing that Cameron may have done him a favor, Ethan is furious By contrast, Cameron and his wife Daphne, they joke with each other about cheating on each other. And both know it's not a joke, but both pretend it is a joke and something about this works for them. If you regard a sexless relationship as not working by definition and one where the couple still fucks as working by definition, Cameron and Daphne are working, Ethan and Harper are not. It's just one of the storylines on The Amazing White Lotus. And of course, if you're gay and you're watching this show as opposed to being gay and writing and directing it, Mike White is gay, you're probably thinking whenever we get back to the Ethan and Harper and Cameron and Daphne storyline, Jesus, you four, just have the foursome already. Do the full swap. You're hot. You're on vacation. And maybe the thing that you're worried about, what if my spouse wants to fuck someone else? is not the problem. Maybe it's the solution. One more episode to go. We will find out next week who lives, who dies, and who has a foursome. Next up, I am not going to pretend like some boring old musical theater queen that I don't know who Kanye West is. Of course I know who Kanye West is. That said, I couldn't name one of his songs. I wouldn't recognize a pair of his sneakers if I saw them. But I know a deranged and dangerous anti-Semite when I see one. And I have a problem, as Sarah Palin might have put it, I have a problem with former and potential future presidents paling around with terrifying anti-Semites. Terrifying anti-Semites like Kanye West and Nick Fuentes. Anyway, like I said, I don't follow Kanye West. I was never a fan, and I'm certainly not a fan now. So I don't know if he'd previously mentioned a porn addiction if that was something he talked about before he started wearing Confederate flags and MAGA hats and praising Donald Trump and blaming black people for slavery and menacing his ex-wife, it didn't cross my radar. Now, I could Google it, I suppose, but I really don't want to do anything that boosts Kanye West in the algorithms that rule our lives. Not even a little. I don't want to be a snowflake in that particular avalanche. 
I bring up Kanye West's porn addiction, unconfirmed, at least by me, because right-wing Claremont Institute fellow and aspiring, her words, church lady, Megan Basham, brought it up on Twitter. If we're going to talk about Kanye's racist spiral and what may be influencing him, I would suggest we need to factor in his admitted severe pornography addiction. Wearing the bondage mask speaks volumes. She's referring, of course, to the black mask Kanye wore over his whole face when he sat down to do Alex Jones' show last week, the show where he said that he loved and admired Hitler. And I just want to say it didn't look like a bondage mask to me, and I've seen a few bondage masks in my time, inside and out. And I also want to say I don't think porn creates anti-Semites or fascists or racists. There's a lot more porn around now and arguably fewer anti-Semites and fewer fascists and racist today than there were in the 1930s and 40s, even if what's going on on Twitter and around the dinner table at Mar-a-Lago and outside drag shows might give you the opposite impression. This attempt to pin hatred by the right after the right has worked so hard to stir up so much hatred, this attempt to pin hatred on things they already hated, on kinksters and porn, it's deflection. The right has been injecting poisonous hatreds into the body politic, arguably without a dog whistle for the last seven years, actually with dog whistles for decades since Nixon. And it's certainly only gotten louder and more deranged and more deranging to the deranged since Trump came down that escalator at Trump Tower. Trump, Trumpism, Trump apologists, the Trumpified right-wing media, it's all broken a lot of people's brains. And it wasn't Pornhub or BDSM gear or parties that broke those brains. It was Fox News and Facebook that broke people's brains. And on a personal note, one last item before we get to the show. I did a thing. I helped do a thing. I co-wrote the screenplay for a new film out this week from Focus Features called Spoiler Alert. I am very bad at self-promotion, so don't see spoiler alert for me. Don't see it for the work I did with my co-writer, David Marshall Grant. See it for the amazing performances from Jim Parsons and Ben Aldridge and Sally Field and Bill Irwin and Jeffrey Self. Spoiler alert is based on the book by TV journalist Michael Osiello about how he met, fell in love with, and ultimately lost his husband, Kit, to cancer. Michael Showalter, who directed The Big Sick and The Eyes of Tammy Faye, directs Spoiler Alert, and it's really great, and I'm really proud of it, and it's coming to theaters all over the country this Friday, December 9th. It would mean a lot to me if you went out and saw it. And for a movie, a love story, a rom-com about a guy who loses his husband to cancer, it's pretty fucking funny. There is a butt sex joke in there that I wrote, and I challenge you, my listeners, to go see Spoiler Alert this weekend and see if you can spot it. All right, coming up on today's show, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, even more cues, even more A's on the Magnum, Savage Lovecast, and STI expert Dr. Ina Park returns to the show to talk with me about stubborn genital warts, the anal to UTI pipeline, and an app that lets people anonymously tell their sex partners that they have an STI. That's all in the Savage Lovecast. There's also, of course, every Tuesday, a brand new Savage Love, the advice column for you at savage.love slash savage love. Now let's get to the show. 
Me Undies makes feel good underpants your butt will be proud to wear and you will be proud to be seen in. They will be the most comfortable pair of underwear you will ever own. And to check it out yourself, go to meundies.com/slash savage. This episode of the Lovecast is brought to you by the good folks at Squarespace. They make it easy to build a beautiful website, blog, or online store. Head on over to squarespace.com slash savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SAVAGE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Support for today's show, support we are very grateful for, comes from stamps.com. With stamps.com, you can access all the amazing services of the post office right from your desk in your own home, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Just click, print, mail, and you are done. It could not be easier. And right now, use Savage for this special offer. Includes up to 55 bucks worth of free postage, a digital scale, and a four-week trial. Do not wait. Go to stamps.com, and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Savage. That's stamps.com. Enter S-A-V-A-G-E. Hey, Dan. I had a job similar to yours, but in a clinical setting. I get hit on every day, but I never entertained it. Do you think it's okay for me to engage now? I still belong to the same community, and I see those former clients out and about all the time. The list of people that we shouldn't fuck grows and grows and grows. If you're a teacher, you shouldn't fuck students. If you are employed, you shouldn't fuck coworkers. You particularly shouldn't fuck coworkers who work under you figuratively. If you are in the medical field, you shouldn't fuck patients. But what about formers, former students, former coworkers, former clients, former patients? Seems to me, especially if those people are approaching you and you no longer have any power or authority over them, if indeed you ever really did, you know, if somebody came to see you at, uh, you don't mention the exact kind of, you know, advice giving role that you were playing. But if somebody came to see you for STI counseling or HIV testing and you were giving them advice, they were technically clients, they weren't long-term clients and you didn't have power or authority over them. It would be bad. And I think legitimately a fireable offense if somebody was doing HIV testing and counseling or STI screening and routinely hitting on or being receptive to passes from clients. You don't want somebody in a situation like that who's taking advantage of it and potentially exploiting people when they're vulnerable. You know, you go to see somebody, and again, I don't know if this is what you're doing, but you go to see somebody for an STI screening, you need to be able to open up to that person about your sex life, your risks, and it's just, yeah, if you're hoping to get into that person's pants or that person is giving off a vibe that they might want to get into your pants, you're less likely to be honest and straightforward about your risks or feel comfortable opening up to this person who seems to be giving you, you know, the fuck me face about the risks you're taking. So yeah, yeah. While people were your clients, you shouldn't have picked up on them or allowed them to pick you up. Now that they're no longer your clients, now that you're no longer doing this job, if you see somebody that you met in that setting out and about and they still want to get with you and you want to get with them, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think you shouldn't sleep with those people if you want to and they want you to just because you used to counsel those people. 
But remember, I'm kind of the sex pervert guy. I'm kind of pro-people fucking and pro-people fucking people they want to fuck however they might have met so long as they're not currently in a position of power or authority over someone. I still get in trouble for a column I wrote years ago telling someone who was a teacher that it was, I guess, okay to fuck a student who'd graduated years ago. People were yelling at me about that in my email inbox recently. I don't know how they stumbled over that ancient column, but they did, and they did not think that that was okay. So probably not okay with some people who have sex advice podcasts for you to sleep with someone who used to be a client now that you're out of the giving advice to people business. But it's okay with me. And I'm the one you asked. Hey, Dan, 32-year-old bi guy here. (laughs) On the Lovecast recently, you've had a couple of questions about herpes disclosure. And you've come down on the side that the good and ethical thing to do is to disclose to potential sexual partners that you have herpes, which I think I agree with. But it reminded me in listening to those calls that um, when I was about 15, I had a cold sore on my mouth. Pretty typical thing. And honestly, had just forgotten that that is herpes and that I have herpes because, you know, once you have it, you have it forever. So should I be disclosing to potential sexual partners that I had a cold sore once as a teenager? It seems weird, but I guess that is still relevant information before I go down on somebody. Similarly, though, should I disclose that disclose that information before I make out with somebody? Because that's still potentially transmitting a virus to them. Some alert listeners have detected a certain amount of hemming and hawing for me when I urge people who have herpes or HPV to err on the side of, which is not quite the same thing as always, but err on the side of disclosure. (sighs) Cold sores. You had a cold sore decades ago. Most adults, according to the Mayo Clinic, carry the virus that causes cold sores, even if they've never had symptoms themselves. And if you only had one outbreak once decades ago and you've never had another outbreak, that's either a very mild strain or I don't want, you know, herpes, your body doesn't eliminate the herpes virus. But if you've never had another outbreak, you're highly unlikely, I think, to infect someone else. And I, you know, I guess I fall into the camp of you can factor your infectivity into your calculations around disclosure, which is potentially a very controversial thing to say. Uh, and in some places, not good legal advice. You know, if you have HIV and you're on medications and you have a zero viral load or an undetectable viral load, you are uninfectious. Do you have to disclose whether you have HIV if you're presenting no risk to someone else? Well, technically, legally, in many places, yes. In many places, it is a crime not to disclose that you have HIV, even if it's impossible for you to infect someone else with HIV. Some of those same disclosure laws cover herpes and HPV, which when you consider how ubiquitous they are, how common this, these infections are, both these infections are, and how little a deal they are in the lives of most people it seems a little ridiculous. And since so many people have herpes and HPV and don't know they have it, if we're going to err on the side of disclosure, it seems like we should all just 
perfunctorily disclose that we have HPV and herpes, whether we know for sure that we do, because we most likely do. (sighs) All this hemming and hawing is my way of tiptoeing up to saying, look, if you had one cold sore or an outbreak of cold sore once decades ago and you've never had another outbreak since, sure, you could disclose. I don't think you are morally obligated to disclose, though there may be some jurisdictions in which you are legally obligated to disclose. And you saying, look, I had a cold sore once. That means I have, uh, you know, I am infected with at least one strain of the herpes virus. The stigma and ignorance is so great. And the fear is so, it exists out of all proportion to the actual threat that all of that kind of argues against disclosing. And yet, when it comes to informed consent models of consent argues in favor of disclosing, which is why I'm hemming and hawing. Uh, yeah, you should disclose. Everybody should disclose. And since so many people have herpes and HPV and don't know it, we should all just say that we do, whether we know for sure that we do, because we probably do. Interesting fact, I noticed while I was looking up a little information about this, about cold sores, Uh, The Mayo Clinic says fatigue, stress, hormonal changes, all risk factors for an outbreak. So are, right there on the list with fatigue, stress, hormonal changes, exposure to sunlight and wind. So if you have herpes, and most of us probably do, stay inside. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, who would like to invite you to take the next step. Your project is cooking along fine. You're building a following. You're starting to sell stuff. But if you don't have a professional-looking, high-functioning website, what are you? You're nothing. That's why you should get Squarespace on board and build yourself a powerful web presence. Here are just a few features that Squarespace is dishing up. Stand out in any inbox with Squarespace email campaigns. Collect email subscribers and convert them into loyal customers. Start with an email template and customize it by applying your brand ingredients like site colors and logo. If your organization collects donations, you can support your cause by gathering contributions with PayPal, Apple Pay, Stripe, and Venmo. Analytics. Gain powerful insight into who's visiting your site, how they're interacting with your content, with their in-depth website analytics tools, including page views, traffic sources, time on site, most read content, audience geography, and more. Wouldn't you like to know this? There's so much more on offer at Squarespace. If you want your website to work well and look beautiful, Squarespace has you covered. Head on over to squarespace.com slash savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code savage to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash savage and use the offer code savage. Hey guys, mid-50s guy here in relatively good mental and physical health, divorced about a year and a half. And coming out of a 20-year marriage. That was fun, but really lacked affection. Most of the affection really came from me. And I often felt really guilty about wanting any kind of affection. I wasn't a guy that had affairs. I took being a husband and father really seriously, and I loved it, and I still love it. I've had a friend for about 15 years that we were just friends, and about three and a half years ago, It became more, and I had an affair. My marriage was ending. I finally admitted it. I feel guilty that it happened. 
but it did. And she and I are together for about two and a half years now. The big problem I'm having is how do I fix it with my kids? Two talk to me somewhat, two do not. And I'm just trying to make it better. I'm having the best sex of my life and feel better both mentally and spiritually and figuratively. I just have to find a way to fix this. My dad left my mom for another woman decades ago. And I didn't speak to my dad for four years. So 1.5 years longer than two of your kids haven't been speaking to you. They may come around. I came around. It took me time. What helped me come around, what helped fix my relationship with my father, was my father letting me be angry, not forcing me to have conversations with him, not trying too hard to fix it, but letting me know that when I was ready to speak with him, that he still wanted to have a relationship with me and that he still loved me. Another thing that was going on that my father wasn't forcing were conversations between me and my siblings. My other three siblings had a better relationship with my father growing up than I did. I had kind of one of those classic gay son, dad relationships. That's not a relationship just in case there's any religious conservatives listening to the show. That's not the kind of relationship that makes you gay. You know, Oh, you're a boy and you had a distant relationship with your father. That makes you gay. No, I was a little gay boy and that made it difficult to have a relationship with my father because we fundamentally didn't understand each other. Um, but setting that aside, I was in conversation. God, that sounds so weird and therapeutic. I was talking with my siblings The whole time they were talking with my dad, including talking with them about why they were talking with my dad, our dad, and those conversations, which my father had nothing to do with and couldn't force, helped bring me around because my estrangement uh, from my father was, you know, one of the things that was costing me was a certain estrangement from my siblings. And I didn't want that. And I loved my siblings and I still do. Hi, if they're out there listening and they still loved my father. And uh, part of the reason I was so angry with my father was I think because I still loved him too. It just took me some time and he gave me that time and he gave me that space and he didn't try to fix it. He let it fix itself. And that's what I would urge you to do. Reach out to your kids the two who aren't speaking to you every once in a while and just say, you know, when you're ready, don't reach out to them every day. Don't reach out to them once a month. Make sure they hear from you on their birthdays, on holidays, and that you want to keep those avenues of communication open. And when they're ready to speak with you, you're ready, always ready to speak with them. You know, life is long and relationships are complicated. And there were things I didn't understand at 15 about relationships, adult relationships, adult romantic relationships that I came to understand later. And in that understanding, I was more forgiving for my father. I was able to forgive him. You know, we tell kids, well, we tell kids that Santa exists and they believe us. And we tell kids that monogamy is easy, that if you're in love with someone, you don't want to sleep with anybody else. We also tell kids, we tell everybody, people repeat this endlessly, that if you want to start sleeping with somebody else, you should do the right thing and end the relationship you're in now first. That's harder than people realize. And people make choices under the 
duress of the difficulty of extricating themselves from the relationship that they're already in. And people make mistakes and blow things up and hurt people that they didn't want to hurt. Sometimes you wind up hurting people, the very people you were trying to protect by sneaking around. You sneak around, you hide the relationship, you have the affair because you don't want to hurt your spouse by divorcing them, by leaving them. And then it all comes out and the hurt is worse. And, you know, I couldn't see that when I was 15. I could see that when I was 20. And I can certainly see that now. So be patient. Live in hope. Your kids will most likely come around. But you can't force it. Let them come to you. You can't make them. Seasonal excitement or dread is starting to settle in. People who run small businesses... You're probably feeling dread and excitement in equal measure. Excitement about sales, dread about getting goods shipped out to your customers in time. That's where Stamps.com comes in. Sign up now to get your holiday mailing and shipping under control. With Stamps.com, you'll be printing your own postage in minutes. Stamps.com is your one-stop shop for all your shipping and mailing needs. Get access to the USPS and UPS services you need to run your business right from your computer. No lines, no traffic, no hassle. And you'll get major discounts on USPS and UPS shipping rates up to 86% off. Stamps.com really is a stress-free solution for every small business. Rates are constantly changing. And with Stamps.com's switch and save feature, you can easily compare carriers and rates so you know you're getting the best deal every single time. And if you're running an online store, Stamps.com works seamlessly with all major shopping carts and marketplaces. This holiday season, trade rushing to the post office, trade late nights in line for silent nights. Get started with Stamps.com today. Sign up with promo code SAVAGE for a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale, no long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and enter the code SAVAGE. Hey, Dan. I'm a cis-hetero American male calling from abroad, and I'm calling for advice on having sex while traveling. So I've been staying at a lot of hostels with shared rooms, and I notice a lot of people have sex in them, and I would probably do the same if I had the opportunity. But I have been told by several people that it makes them uncomfortable, and so maybe it's not ethically permissible. I'm wondering what you think. Young people travel. Young people are horny. Young people, young broke people, stay in youth hostels where they pack lots of young people into a single room. The odds with that kind of packing, that kind of stacking up of horny young people, often horny young people who've been out drinking, the odds that one or two of those people, or two or more of those people, may wind up fucking are pretty high, which is, I think, something that you're kind of vaguely aware of when you stay in a youth hostel, that you may be exposed to the snoring or the farting or the fucking of other people who are staying in that youth hostel. Is it unethical to fuck in a room where other people are trying to sleep? Yeah, yeah, I think so, but I would perhaps label it inconsiderate. It's inconsiderate and often unnecessary. Youth hostels have 
bathrooms. Youth hostels have showers. Youth hostels have stairwells. Youth hostels have roofs. Youth hostels have gardens. Youth hostels have kitchens. Youth hostels have lots of nooks and crannies where two people who just absolutely positively have to fuck and have to fuck now and because of the way they're traveling are not going to be able to avail themselves of a totally private place to fuck. There's a lot of places that two people in a youth hostel can sneak away to fuck with some reasonable expectation of getting away with it. Some reasonable expectation of privacy and some demonstration. You know, if you're in a youth hostel and you're fucking in a shower or a bathroom or a kitchen in the middle of the night when no one's using it or on the roof or on the stairwell and someone happens upon you, well, at least by dint of your having retreated to a stairwell or a kitchen or under a table in the dining room or wherever else you might be able to find a little bit of privacy, you've demonstrated, you've communicated to that person who chanced upon you that you made an effort to f- not inflict your fuck noises or your fuck mental images on anybody else. Seems to me, if you want to be ethical about this, if you don't want to be inconsiderate or selfish or sloppy or overheard or possibly recorded on somebody else's cell phone, go find someplace else to fuck in that youth hostel. And if you can't find someplace else to fuck in that youth hostel, go find someplace to fuck outside that youth hostel. If you're staying in a youth hostel in, for example, Amsterdam or Berlin, there are plenty of places. Even if you don't have a hotel room all to yourself, there are plenty of places you can go and fuck with some modicum of privacy and plenty of places that you can go and fuck where there are lots of other people around who want to watch. You probably have friends and loved ones like me Someone who needs new underpants on the regular, someone who loves new underpants but can't be trusted to buy them for themselves, no style like me, or can't prioritize their own needs, underpants or otherwise, also like me. So be a hero this holiday season and get that person, that person in your life like me, get that person a gift subscription to Me Undies, and they will thank you all year round. Me Undies, of course, is your go-to spot for snuggly soft undies and more that everybody likes. So they're not just for the person on your list who needs those new underpants, they're also for you, and it's so much more than just underpants. I'm all about my Me Undies lounge pants with pockets. I have at least four pairs now, and I love them. I wear nothing else from the waist down when I'm at home. And Nancy loves her extra thick, warm and cozy me undies socks. Nancy bikes to work. It's cold here right now, so she really needs them, and she loves them. Try me undies and get 20% off your first purchase plus free standard shipping and free returns when you go to meundies.com slash savage. And while you're there, be sure to check out Me Undies holiday collection. From undies and bralettes to PJ sets, Me Undies has something for every name on your list. Shop classic plaids for dads, holiday sweater prints for fun friends, and the softest lounge wherever for all the cuddly ones in your life. All available in sizes XS through 4XL. Me Undies has everything you need to make your favorite people smile this holiday season and all year long, all in one convenient place. And maybe while you're there, get a little extra something for yourself too. This year, holiday your way with Me Undies. To get 20% off your first order, free shipping, and 100% satisfaction guarantee, go to MeUndies.com slash Savage. Be sure to let them know the Lovecast sent you. That's MeUndies.com slash Savage.
Hey, Dan. I'm a 28-year-old bisexual polyamorous uh, cis woman. I'm also a sex worker. I have an OnlyFans, I cam, and I've done stripping as well, hoping to do that a bit more. So naturally, I've been lying to my family about the work that I do. And it's gotten to a point where it was really, really difficult for me to keep the lie going. It felt like this weird double life thing was getting pretty exhausting and I was pretty over it. My family, for the most part, is pretty liberal, but I have a very complicated relationship with them. I've also been accused a lot of lying to them, which isn't true, or sorry, which is true. (laughs) I've been lying a lot since I was a kid, um, and it was mostly just a device for self-protection because I just felt very othered by my family. But I've been trying to work on that, so I decided to come clean and... Well, actually, I told my cousin what I was doing. She told her dad for some reason. And then her dad, who I don't even have a relationship with, he's been estranged from my family for 10 years, but he went ballistic and is very worried that I'm a broken harlot going down a very dark path. So he decided to start telling people in the family. That led me to tell my mom and my brother because I knew it was going to get back to them anyway. They are devastated. They're furious with me. My brother has said, that if I continue to do this work, I am really intentionally hurting my family. My mom, I've advised for her to listen to this podcast. I've given her other resources, but she just won't budge. She's just terrified and assuming I'm going to die soon as well. I don't really know what to do. I have a friend who suggested, why don't you just lie and say you stopped? But honestly, at this point, I've broken trust with them and they're not going to believe that. I really hope this dies out soon. But yeah, having frantic phone calls of everybody being disappointed in me for causing a ruckus in the family, angry with me for doing this to the family, or just concern for my safety, even though no one point blank has just asked me if I've taken safety precautions, which the answer is yes. It's a lot. I'm exhausted. (laughs) Do you have any advice for uh, how to navigate this fucked up situation with my family? I'm tempted to tell you to cut your family out of your life. Fuck them. You say you're exhausted. If they are exhausting and you are exhausted, you don't have to put up with this shit. Your leverage over your family as an adult child is your presence. And if they can't be respectful, don't make yourself present. Don't show up to get yelled at or put down or shamed or you know subjected to their attempts to control you. All that said, you say that you were a liar, that you lied a lot when you were younger. You don't say what kind of lies you told. Were you just a kid who lived in their own dream world? Were you a fabulous? Or were you doing things, getting away with things, taking risks, and then lying to your family about what it is that you were up to? And did the lies that you told your family create a lot of drama and crisis and work for your family? I mean, did you lie to them about where you were going, who you were with, and then you needed to call in the cavalry and your family had to routinely drop everything to rescue you? If it was that kind of lying and that kind of drama, your family's distress, concern, may be a little bit more understandable. And as you've said, you're trying to get a handle on the lying, you're trying to be more truthful and direct with them. Give them the opportunity to ask you anything. You know, part of my advice when I tell people that your leverage as an adult is your presence in your family's life, your family of origin's life, I also tell people after you come out as a sex worker, after you come out as gay or lesbian, whatever it might be, 
you give your family a year to have a tantrum like your family is having now. Also to ask you whatever it is that they need to ask you. And you will answer their questions patiently and you won't hold the asking of their questions, whatever they might be, however offensive they might be on their face, you won't hold those questions against them after that year is up and you've hopefully moved past this shit together. It could be, you know, if you told a lot of lies, whether they were lies covering up dangerous, risky things you were doing or just fabulous kind of kid in a dream world kind of lies, it could be that your family thinks now that they only know half of it, that you're not just camming, that you don't just have an OnlyFans, but that you're escorting. And escorting is a lot riskier. And so if you haven't had a conversation with them about what you're doing and how you're doing it and gotten into the really nitty gritty details, I could see where they might be worried for your safety, particularly if in the past, again, they had to play the cavalry and rush in and rescue you from whatever it might have been. And in conclusion, uh, fuck your cousin and fuck your cousin's dad who went ballistic and made you feel like you needed to tell your family what it is that you were doing and get out in front of it before your family found out from your immediate family found out from your extended family. But maybe your blabby cousin and your blabby cousin's asshole dad did you a favor because you were getting tired of living this double life and you don't have to live this double life anymore, but you get to live your own life and you get to make your own choices. And your family can't veto your choice to do this kind of sex work. If it is the choice that you want to make and the choice that's right for you at this time, but you will have to stand your ground. You will have to let them have their tantrum. Let them see that the tantrum they're having isn't going to work, that they can't control you with their anger. And then hopefully you'll come out on the other side of that. They'll drop the tantrum as a tactic. They'll relax. If you answer all of their questions honestly, and you don't get caught in any lies about what it is you're doing right now for work, they'll come to trust that this is what you're doing and that you aren't taking any additional risks uh, or doing something arguably riskier than the kind of sex work you're doing now. And they'll come to trust you. But that's going to be a process, and that's going to take some time. Hi, Dan, and the tech savvy at Risk Youth. Um, this is a 25-year-old girl from Los Angeles. So I recently broke up with somebody who I had been dating for eight months. I had been so honest, communicative, and patient while he tried to figure out who he was, what he wanted. And we were talking and, you know, I was just like, you know, the minute I realized you couldn't give me more is the reason I, I had to end things. And he said, after we had talked, he had said, well, you know, for the past two months, I had been feeling like my feelings were waiting for you. And also, you know, he said that he had one big red flag. And I was like, well, if it's something that, you know, I should be, you know, aware of, let me know. And he said that it was because I was too sure of myself and too confident. And he said that was the one thing that really tipped him off the edge. And I knew if he said that, if he said that there was a red flag, it was going to be that. Because we went to his parents and his mom said that I was too much. And I really wanted to be friends with him. I really followed the campsite rule. I 
I left him with unconditional love and, you know, even left it open for a possible future. But this is literally somebody who's saying, I didn't feel it because you were too much yourself. So I wanted to know, Dan, do you think that you can go and still be have somebody in your life who says that? Sure. You can have someone in your life who would say such a shitty, weird, hurtful thing to you at the end of your romantic relationship. But I'm curious why you would want to have someone in your life who, you know, an ex in your life that would say such a thing to you, that would tell you that you were too confident, that would tell you that your mom said that the red flag for him was that you were too confident. His mom said, mommy said you're too much. Why would you want him in your life at all? Why would you want someone in your life who basically gave you the romantic relationship breakup ending equivalent of you can't fire me, I quit. You dumped him because he wasn't available to you in the way that you wanted him to be available to you. And that's a perfectly legitimate reason for ending a relationship. Maybe he felt that you were attempting to manipulate him by saying, you know, I'm open to us reconnecting later. Uh, that you were trying to force his hand, that you're trying to rush him into a commitment he was not yet ready to make. And then he lashed out and said these shitty things to you, but he lashed out and said these shitty things to you. Out he goes, out of your bed, out of your romantic life, out of your life entirely. You know, it's a good sign often when people are friends with their exes. It's, you know, not always possible to be friends with your exes. Not always possible to be friends right away with someone who is so suddenly your ex. Uh, when people can't be friends with their exes, it's a good sign that they speak well of their exes. None of this applies, of course, when I'm talking about abusive exes. I sometimes worry, though, that people try too hard, particularly people who've listened to my show for a long time and take my advice seriously, which is something I would never advise anybody to do. But People will try too hard to salvage a friendship out of the end of a relationship because they want to stick that dismount. They want to be able to say, I'm friends with my exes, just like Dan Savage has been telling me to be since I was 14 years old and I started listening to his podcast and now I'm 30. Anyway, not always possible, not always advisable. As a general rule, good sign that someone speaks well of their exes. It's not necessarily. You shouldn't infer that it says something negative about you, caller, or about anybody else that they're not friends with every one of their exes. You can speak well of this guy. You don't have to keep him in your life. There's no blue ribbon for that. And yeah, unless this guy circles back with an apology in a couple of months, you dumped me, it hurt, my feelings were hurt. I said, some things in that moment that were untrue and unkind and I see what I was doing now and I feel bad about it and I'm sorry. Maybe that guy, that future version of this guy could be in your life. But if this is who he is and who he is always, yeah, there's no place for him in your life. This is the part of the show where we read the tweets. I am trying to get on some other platforms, but I'm not very tech savvy. It took me years to get on Twitter. I'm still not on TikTok. Sooner or later, I will be off Twitter. 
But for now, Dr. Jen Murphy tweets, I'm so glad at Fake Dan Savage is discussing lab-grown human meat on the Savage Lovecast. I'm a vegetarian, but would totally eat a people burger just to find out what we taste like. My friends think it's gross, but it's for science. Yeah, it's not just your friends, Dr. Murphy, your sex advice podcast host, thinks that's gross too, but I have no moral qualms. No objections to you tucking into the very first people burger that comes off the grill, so long as no actual people were harmed in its production, and so long as you immediately floss your teeth after. Stephanie Graves tweets, Thanks at Fake Dan Savage for being my top podcast on Spotify this year. I loved all 2,329 minutes of it. If I had a guru, it would be you at Fake Dan Savage. You're welcome, Stephanie, and I think I speak for everyone at the Lovecast when I say we really loved topping you or topping your list of podcasts at Spotify. And finally, My Laurels is the company that makes those FDA-approved latex panties for safe oral sex. They came up on the podcast a couple weeks ago. My Laurels tweets, you suggested fashion latex underwear as a potential substitute for Laurels, Dan. We love you, but that was bad advice. And here's why. Fashion latex underwear is 0.4 to 0.5 thick. That might sound thin, but if you're going down or getting head through something that thick, the receiver will barely feel it, and it's going to hurt the giver's tongue muscles after a few seconds. By contrast, Laurels are 0.05 to 0.08 thick. That's five to 10 times thinner than fashion latex undies. Okay, my laurels, I am convinced you are right. Laurels, my advice was, well, let's not call it bad. You can still eat someone out in latex fetish wear. Ask me how I know, but you're right. Thinner is better and your product designed for oral is much, much thinner. And so the better choice for safe oral sex with a latex barrier. All right. Thanks to everybody who posted to social media, including Twitter, about the Savage Lovecast this week. We really appreciate the way our listeners help spread the word about the Savage Lovecast. And now on to something else we appreciate, listener response calls. Hey, Dan and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. I'm calling about the latest episode where the uh, woman was having night terrors and she shocked the guy she was staying with and he couldn't handle it. I dated somebody with night terrors as an adult for six years. I, I dated her and she never was bothered by them. She just went back to sleep and was like, oh, whatever. Meanwhile, I dealt with somebody screaming, throwing fits, trying to go through a window once, jumping out of a bunk bed, top bunk bed, almost slamming into a stove down below in the cabin. Uh, running down the streets screaming and once staying at a bed and breakfast. She had a screaming night terror in the middle of the night in front of all these strangers, went running out the door. And the next day, everyone just glared at me thinking I was abusive. It's really hard on the person witnessing it, especially when your your lover's trying to go through a large pane window on a second story. So she might want to think that through a little bit and get some help. Hey, Dan, this is a response call to something you said in episode 840. You just mentioned in passing, no nut November. It always bothers me when that month comes along or people are, you know, participating that because I am, you know, a a guy who's been divorced for a few years now and I'm having like no sex. And so I feel self-conscious or whatever when people are like, ooh, I'm abstaining from sex for a month. I'm like, yeah, welcome to my fucking life. This is like what I do all the time. Maybe we could flip the tables like, you know, you are apt to do on your show. Maybe we could have a protest month where it's like we all nut November, walnut, walnut November instead of no nut November. Let's all nut each other 
And then maybe that would be a good excuse for, you know, people like me to get the fuck back out there and find somebody to fuck in November. Just special, special for people like us, you know, those of us who are like not having sex all the time. Hey, get out there, man. Walnut November. So Dan, I just want to tell you I'm madly in love with you. When I heard your intro at the top of this latest episode, I was so vindicated because I've been saying to my family and friends for a couple of years since I first heard about laboratory-grown meat, somebody's going to make a restaurant with human meat. And, you know, you walk in and, and the waiter comes up and says, hi, I'm Sally. I'll be your server today, and I'm the special. And I think that would be wonderful. Now, I'm not into for myself. I'm not into cannibalism fetish. I just think people would love to be able to eat mastodon and passenger pigeon and snow leopard and people. And I even have a, a name for my restaurant. I call it Apex. I'm never actually going to do it, but I just think it's a great idea. Anyway, love the show. <laughs> love where you, the weird places your mind goes because so much like my own. Thanks. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? Use the Voice Memo app on your phone to record your question or your comment and email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. You can also call us at 206-302-2064 and you can record your question directly onto the Savage Love website at savage.love. The holidays are here. The Magnum Savage Lovecast makes a great gift, as do Fuck First and GGG mugs, Savage Love t-shirts, and hump tickets. The tech-savvy at-risk youth are standing by, ready to take your orders at savage.love. It is last call for Hump 2023 submissions, your five minutes or less dirty little masterpiece due into our offices by the end of business day this Friday, December 9th. And no, it's not too late to get started. We have had films make it into Hump that were literally shot the night before the deadline. All the info you need to get into the Hump Film Festival can be found at humpfilmfest.com slash submit. Follow me for now on Twitter at Fake Dan Savage. Follow Dr. Ina Park on Twitter at Ina Park MD. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk youth and Nancy. We'll all be back at you next week for an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.